speeders recording in progress are motorcycles of the Star Wars. I mean, I would agree that. When, when I was a teenager, speeders were people who took a lot of speed. Hey there, welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits, coming to you from the Recycle Garage in joyful Santa Cruz, California. We are back, babies. Back to our good weather, riding weather. Things aren't soaking wet and drenched. Thank God. Oh, we're back. We those are, are still back. fucked, though. We are back. You may be wondering who those voices are, so let's get to them. Hey, everyone. This is Liza. How are you doing? And I had a great, great ride yesterday. I'm going to get into it. But first, I want to I wanna get to... Who's in the garage uh, with me? Of course, would not be a show yeah. without Miss Emma. Hello, darlings. Here I am. Hello. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> Do you know who started that? I think it was Jerry Seinfeld who started that off. Oh, really? You know, there was a whole episode. Hello. <laughs> um, no, here I am on the uh, classic girl couch, and you call me with a with mouthful of Haribo. <laughs> the mouthful of gummies. Um. <laughs> Emma. Yes, darling. Do you have any of your grandma's fine china? Yes. Right? This is yes. something that you pull out of the cabinet yes. on special occasions. Yes. Well, I kind of feel like everyone else in the room is like that fine china in the cabinet. Because Stumpy John, he's he's moving. He had to move into a new house. And yeah. Jim's off getting ready for his next trip. No, no. The lineup... This week is very nostalgic. So, so we, we opened the old We cabinet opened Grandma's pulled, cabinet. Pulled out the fine china. Thanks. So joining <laughs> us tonight, it's Micah. Yo, yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Wiki, wiki. Yes, <laughs> it's been a while. Yes, it has. I actually got a, a message on my Instagram this week from a listener Stalker. who was like, hey, have you come on the podcast recently? It's been a minute. And I was like, oh, yeah, that exists. I should probably go back there sometime. She cried. No. What was their name? You could name drop them. I can if I go look at my Instagram. But hey, it got you back in there. Of course. (laughs) Yes. You're always closely followed by the looking dashing in those glasses. I Mm -hmm. want to jump them. Charlie. They call me Spicy Rotor. (laughs) (laughs) Spicy or salty? (laughs) Spicy. More like like those glasses. Rotor. Well, it's not. I don't Salty Rotor. I like that. <laughs> and uh, really going deep, uh, this is kind of like uh, Grandma's gravy boat. It's Henry. Hey, what's up? Don't mind the cobwebs. <laughs> Grandma's gravy boat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> is he the gravy or the boat? <laughs> Don't yes. answer. Do not answer that, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and, I'll and eat them both. What would you call the last misfit who's here? What What piece of Grandma's China is he? I don't know. He's I'm, that I'm one wondering that, that, what I'm wondering what Henry Gravy would look like. I think like. it's I think I think I think this is uh, Grandma's china that you use every day. Is this the butter dish that you use every day? Maybe. So that would be bagel the butter dish. <laughs> butter me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> bagel the cow creamer. Yeah, <laughs> you can't put butter on bagels. This is true. <laughs> So yeah, we got some old voices coming back, and this is again one of the things I love about the misfits. We can always dig deep into our our, our you know our, our what do you call the roster 
and pull people out uh, to the, the misfits gene pool. There are many of us. <laughs> the primal and, and, and misfits don't really go away. <laughs> well, no, they're, they're always around. The, the way I always, us. yeah. Well, no, the way I see it is, you it's know, like Hep C doesn't yeah. really go away. Oh God, <laughs> I was gonna say that the misfits—they're kind of like a primordial soup. And then occasionally one will evolve and grow legs and sort of crawl on dry land and then decide actually it's not for them and then come back to the primordial soup. <laughs> yeah. How about that? Sometimes I don't follow you. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I'm going to say that. Um, hey, uh, let's, let's get to the, the big, there's some big news. The big wow. Mm. The big news the b- is, and we said, we said our rally is happening. Last week we said that not actually knowing it was happening, but just deciding to stay extremely optimistic Keep and to faith. will it. Keep the faith. Our rally is happening. So April 21st through 23rd, Misfits Rally, we still got some spots left. Um, I guess, I mean, this is kind of the exciting part is, so we talked about Hollister Hills where we're having the park, the, the you know, dirt mm-hmm. bike park. They took a lot of damage in these storms. Mm-hmm. I mean, like a lot of damage, paths just completely gone, stuff like oh, that. Yeah. And they are working hard <clears throat> uh, to get it back up and running. And they not sure they're going to have it open by the time of our rally. So they're letting us have the rally and have the park to ourselves. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, Bagel yeah. gets that. <laughs> yeah. Now, we know we're going to be restricted. We're not going to have access everywhere and right that's fine but we're gonna have uh you know some tracks available so that we can do some stupid stuff with mini bikes right and not worry about taking out a kid <laughs> or we could take the adventure bikes off the jumps right and <laughs> yeah. um we've got a couple of road rides organized which are just gonna be dr- drop dead good was oh, geez. that oh geez henry stop throwing things um I think that was Henry Gravy hitting the ground. Um, <laughs> Henry the Gravy boat. Um, we've got a fantastic ride on Saturday, and I think you might do a, a shorter one on Friday. And So we're figuring that out yeah. because we don't know how much of the park we're going to have. Uh, here's how I, I see this happening is Friday is going to be just an open ride. Uh, if you want to ride dirt, dirt riding, if you want to go ride anywhere around the the park outside of the park and it's fantastic. There's a lot and, of great riding, and I might do I might do a quick impromptu ride just down twenty five to Pinnacles, Pinnacles and back, and take people with you. Yeah, yeah, I, you I might know. join you on that. Yeah, it'd be a nice ride. It's kind of it's open. Um, we're going to be having um, Jason on Friday evening uh, is going to be doing suspension setup. Suspension. He'll touch Sick. your knobs. <laughs> he will. He'll twiddle with your knobs <laughs> and adjust your preload. Yep. Yeah, so that's going to be perfect to uh, have your bike set up. We've got all sorts of stuff we're working on. But I went and um, pre, pre-routed pre uh, the, the street ride. So we're going to have an adventure ride. Charlie, you're going to be leading that, though you don't know where it's going yet. I mean, just any of the rides I casually try to go on as a trip end up being pretty fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like- yeah. So, um, and I know that Matt's been scouting that. And then I went and scouted out some roads in a in place I've never really ridden up in the, the the Gilroy Mountains, not the Santa Cruz side, the other side across 101 and found some really aw- nice roads out there. But I routed it out um, and um, the, the street ride 
We're going to stop at uh, Corbin Factory, do a tour. Mm-hmm. We are going to have lunch at the Hollister Airport, which mm-hmm. is one of the best restaurants in Hollister that nobody knows about except for pilots because it's at this tiny little airport. And when we say airport, it's like, you know, Cessna's taking off. Then we're going to go up into the mountains and go ride some curves along rivers. It's beautiful. Then we're going to come down to Gilroy Power Sports, which happens to be one of our main sponsors. And I have come up with some games that we're going to be playing in the in the store. <clears throat> one of them, I, I'll just say it. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hide one of my my dick stem caps on one of the bikes on display. <laughs> and everyone needs to pan out. If you find it, you win like a hat or something, right? Look for the, look for the dick. And they were like, sure, hide a dick on one of our bikes. Great, go for it. Okay, cool. There's going to be two. I'm going to be I'm going to be hiding some more stuff. But you know another game I was I was out there talking with them and I thought you know it'd be fun. They don't have a huge selection of used bikes, but they do I, take trade-ins. Yes. I thought it would be fun to play what's it worth. And we're going to cover oh. the prices and see if people can guess. Hmm. And no cheating on your phone looking up the KBB value. Well, and these might be on not motorcycles, but other recreational vehicles. Buy a they have many. They've got Sea-Doo's and mules and all sorts of stuff and Can-Am. So we're going to have fun there, but it doesn't stop there. Because from there, nice ride over the mountain and down to Gizditch Pie Ranch. Yes. Pie. Pie. Uh, you need live to ride, ride to eat. That's our motto. They have apples, too. Mm-hmm. And they and then, have juice. And then from there, and, and what I love about this, from there... All the way back to Hollister Hills is riding back farm roads through the fields. The whole way. Like right. We're not, not going to do any freeway at all. Farm roads all the way to Hollister you Hills. You will have to be careful not to slip on cow pizza. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I routed it out. Great ride. So uh, we still have some slots left. So come and join us. Go to breakingawaytrips.com and look for the Misfits Rally, or you can uh, look for the link in the show notes. But um, I wanted to share something that kind of happened to me on this ride. I talked to you a little bit mm. about it, Emma. And, it's real. Um, I don't, I'm not the type of person who talks about my feelings. And I think a lot of bikers in general don't talk about their like insecurities or fears. It's something that people just don't share or talk about so i'm kind of going to go out of my comfort zone and talk about this because uh, i've talked before just about um uh, being an aging biker and, and just admitting that you are that is hard you know right but i had this moment where i'm referring to this uh, i'm calling this the brain of the age aging rider and i was riding my africa twin just having a great time and Riding out in these fields, there's a lot of dirt roads that run parallel to the paved road, to the highway. And I, I just imagine myself, I'm like, oh, I could easily just jump down this embankment, get on that dirt road. And I imagine, like, envisioning myself, stand up, pin it, do a little bit of a, a rooster tail, and just be riding on that dirt road. It looked like good dirt. That'll be fun. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm seeing myself doing it. And then 
the other side of my brain is like, what the hell are you doing? You're going to die. And started to bring on this like anxiety and my chest started tightening. Like, like, like a real like fear. And I was like, what's happening? I obviously have two different directions. My brain is going that they do not agree. And one is going, Ooh, let's do that. That looks so much fun. It's calling me. And the other one was like shutting it down, shutting my body down, tightening me up, saying, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You can't do that. And I'm wondering if that's something, like you guys are all young enough, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but I'm wondering if this is part of becoming an aging writer and your your brain and your instinct survival is like trying to shut that down. I don't disagree with you, Liza. I mean, I'm a a couple of years older than you, but... um, you know, when you're 30. Yeah, right. Um, we're very much in the same age bracket. And I'm, I'm, as I get older, I am more timid as a writer. And there's no escaping that. And you, you can, you can attribute it to, yes, I think slower than I did. Um, and yes, I react slower than I did. But I'm also acutely aware that if I go down, it's going to be a lot more catastrophic than it was when I was younger. Um, the last wreck I had was on the Trident. And that messed me up more than any other crash I've had. And I refuse to believe it was the worst crash I've had, but it was the oldest I yeah. ever was when I went down. And the fact is, you know, a 58-year-old woman went down hard at, 40 miles an hour and no. I fucked myself up royally. So, you know, it's, it's, I think it's part and parcel of aging. I'm certainly never going to give up riding bikes ever. Bagel. Uh, well, another question I had was, um, when was the last time you did a move like that? Because if it's not something that you oh, practice I do regularly, moves like that all the time, no, I'm, I'm sorry, not, 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 not you. I mean, Liza, Ridden the, the in move the that dirt? you're envisioning, yeah, the move that you're envisioning, going down that embankment, when was the last time you did something like that in real life? I mean, it's something that that you're imagining that you can could do, and and you probably were you know had done that at some point in the past or something like it. You know, just well, on the Africa Twin, I mean, road. riding on the old coast highway, I've done that, mm-hmm. and I mean, I have. But how, right, but how long ago was that, though? I don't know. I mean, a year or two, maybe. Okay, but it's yeah, not something like, you do lately, and it's not something you do regularly. Yeah. So, in, well, I mean, but I've been out on my uh, my enduro six ninety, but mm-hmm. it's definitely. But it, I think you're it, there's this point where you have to start pushing back, right. and and trying to decide. Well, I mean, right, human right, but, but, well, well, Oh, sorry. Well, well, just my point is that that to to do something like that, you really have to kind of work your way up to it. So, and if, if and were you were you on the Africa Africa mm-hmm. Twin or were you on a different bike? No, I was on the Africa Twin. Okay. But, um, you know, but and, and if it's not is, something you do regularly, it's something you might need to work up to. And that's well, just kind of self-preservation saying, hey, don't don't bite off too much at once. Oh, I know? mean, it, it wasn't challenging. But what I'm saying is the bike is capable and I've had training on that right. bike. So I know mm-hmm. my brain knows how to do it. And, but okay. it's the other part of the brain is like just saying, no, maybe you shouldn't. And I understand where mm. you're coming from, because human nature being what it is. We tend to say, well, we've done it before and it's been okay. So it will be okay this time. And that's the normal status quo. Yeah, we've done this before. And I know you've done it before on the Africa Twin. Well, 
But there's something new, and it's the older laser brain. So I'm just going to try and put this into a, another scenario, just to try and explain to the younger people who haven't experienced this. And there, there is, uh, I, and I had this conversation recently, there are things that I have done that when I'm doing it, I am aware that this is the last time I'm doing it. The last time I went skiing, it was very hard on my knees, and I was aware that was probably the last time. The last time I went bowling, and my shoulder was hurting so much, and I was aware that's probably the last time I'm going bowling, and it was. And 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 I'm just wondering if this is stuff creeping in that I'm losing my skills on the motorcycle because. No, I don't think so. No, I I don't. I see it as something different. I don't see it as skills being lost. I think you're just going to. You're just going to change. Um, yeah. I've always enjoyed going to the uh, uh, um, shooting range. And um, my thing is I love 12-gauge shotguns. I just love them. They're just the best thing in the world. But, of course, once you've fired off one of those things a few times, your shoulder is just yeah. like a... It's like a slab of meat. So you have to go to something, you know, a little smaller, and you kind of adjust. Yeah. And... I think with your biking, it's not that you're di- you're diminishing in your ability, but your mind is changing. You're thinking a little mm-hmm. more about the consequences, which is a natural process of aging. And you are going to adjust not just your riding, but the choices you make based upon that. I don't want to take away from your experience of this being something in relation to uh, how long you've been riding and your change as you're aging. But I also experience this with improving knowledge of riding personally. Um, the more I ride track, the more scared I am of riding street. Now, that doesn't yeah, mean that that's I'm a very common. thing. Yeah. And that I'm not saying that it's scary to ride mm-hmm. street, but I get more aware of the danger that I'm putting myself in when I'm riding at my highest level riding on the track and I have people in corners to tell me that it's safe to do so rather than riding on the street I am very much of course I'm an instructor so I have to be but I am very much someone who is follow the law I do not speed ever on the streets I go the (laughs) speed limit all the time to the chagrin of all of the riders around me who want to go very fast because I'm very aware of the risk that I'm taking when I'm riding on the street and if I do want to do something I will do it in a different situation. Also, since um, Kat and I were talking about this recently, since uh, getting married, both of us are very aware of the risk that the people around us take, like fear of um, Charlie getting into an accident Mm -hmm. has been something since we got married that I'm very much experiencing versus when we were even when we were engaged. And before that, when we were dating, we've been together for seven years i was never scared of him writing that's called adulting (laughs) yes and i think it's i don't know that it's related necessarily to aging as much as it is to the understanding of the risk that i am taking and the risk that people around me are taking well i'm just sharing that because i'm curious of other people who are experiencing that and i think the difference is i don't suffer from anxiety but i definitely felt that my chest tightening up and there was anxiety sitting in mm. and that was the the divide between the, my two brains and that was like that's what's I, weird i just and that is so alien to me because you don't i don't think i've ever seen liza express an emotion of any kind exactly <laughs> let alone anxiety good lord so i i want to share also so while i was out on this ride oh my gosh the, it was so beautiful 
and the smells and the sounds and just everything was great. And um, I took some of the, the, the key phrases that came into mind. Like I remember riding up uh, towards uh, Casa Frute. Yes. And just, you know, you see things on the side road. I saw, you know, those, I call them roadside dinosaurs, you know, giant metal sculptures, you know, mm. just things that were like, oh, that's just looks so cool. And so I plugged in a bunch of the experiences I had into AI who wrote a poem for me <laughs> to share the ride. Oh, God, this is an AI poem. It Judge is. it, Micah. Is it, uh, it is. Well, we have a real life mm-hmm, poet here. Mm-hmm, I know. Chat GTP so has gone tell, into tell motorcycles, me, Tell too. me how this is. As I hit the open road on my bike, the wind rushing through my hair, I catch a whiff of something unique, a smell that lingers in the air. It's the scent of garlic, oh so pungent, wafting from a roadside stand. My stomach growls in anticipation, but I must stick to my plan. I ride on past towering dinosaurs on display for all to see. Their skeletal frames a testament to creatures once roaming free. My heart races as I take in the sights, feeling alive and carefree. The rush of endorphins floods my veins, a natural high that sets me free. So let me ride with garlic on the air and dinosaurs by my side. The scent, the sights, the rush of freedom, a feeling I cannot hide. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) AI wrote that. AI wrote that. Micah's eyes are rolling around in the back of her head right now. (laughs) I've got big opinions and this is not the space to share them. (laughs) Well, my opinion is I'm not somebody who can write poetry and it wrote something that feels like it came from my brain because I put in enough of the keywords. So it helped me communicate. (laughs) I'm super happy for you. Thank you. We're all happy for you, Liza. (laughs) Thank you very much. So as I was riding on this ride, another thing I was doing was... Was? I was listening to music. And I don't do it that often because I'm usually riding with Jim or somebody, uh, John, and we're on comms and having a conversation. So I found myself listening to music, which only added to kind of the, the, the high that you have when riding and the endorphins that I could feel. And it got me thinking about the music and how much music there is in motorcycling and riding and how much it it contributes to it. So I came up with a game. Mm. Are you guys ready to play Name That Tune? Yes, of course. Super excited. Okay. Wow. So this is Name That Tune, and this is motorcycle and road kind of songs, right? So here's how it's going to work. We're going to take turns... We'll start with Emma. Hello. And you're going to get the first clip, just you, that just you can hear. Yes. All right? But it's going to be a very short clip. Yes. And you need to try. Charlie, are you farting over there? <laughs> no, Charlie is so bad at this. Charlie is, we played a game like this a while ago where I, oh. it ended up with me basically angrily humming the lyric, uh, angrily humming milkshake. No. Um, and... <laughs> It's just going to be so fantastic to watch him do this publicly. I cannot oh, wait. He's, he's, okay. he's squirming. I thought he had diarrhea from eating too so, many gummies. So, whoever's turn it is, you get the first short clip to yourself. Yes. If you do not guess it, yes. then I'm going to play it again and let it play, and anyone can shout out okay. the answer. Very good. Okay? But here's the thing. You get a point 
for naming the artist. Yes. You get a point for naming the song. Yes. And you get a point if you can sing the chorus. Oh, okay. So mm. there's potentially three points. Okay. Emma, are you ready? You are going to be the first one. Okay, I'll, I'll give it a good shot. Okay, let's see. Are you ready? The first yes. song is... Recording stopped. Okay, so um, that's Born to be Wild by Steppenwolf. Um, And like a true nature's child, we were born, born to be wild. Yeah, you got it. That is correct. Emma has three points. Ha! Okay, Micah. Who is Barnaby Wild anyway? Uh, (laughs) All right, Micah, are you ready? Yes. Um, oh God! <laughs> I know it, Micah. I know it. Um, I need a guess. Uh, I don't know. Can I go? No. Uh. I need no guess? no guess. Okay, I'm now going to play more, and anyone can, can I still guess if I yes, remember? Yes, you can it? still guess. Okay. It's ACDC. Mm-hmm. Um. Highway to hell. Oh, wait, he said he said ACDC first. All right, well, Charlie. I, Emma's right though. Well, okay. You I, sing it. Sing it. No. ACDC. <laughs> Come on, Charlie. How's the chorus go? I, I I'll sing it with you, Charlie. Points. I'm on the highway <laughs> to okay. hell. Uh, I should have got that. All right, Emma gets uh Two points for saying that, and Charlie gets one for not singing along. <laughs> oh, right. come on, Charlie. But now it's Charlie's Still turn. one more point than Micah. Hey, fuck you. <laughs> it's Charlie's turn. Are you ready? Yes. I, I don't know. Oh, I do. Okay. You don't know? No guess? No. I'm going to let it play a little bit longer. You know the answer. Shout it out. Okay, it's Bat Out of Hell by Meatloaf. Okay, and how's the chorus going? Like a bat out of hell, I'll be gone when the morning <laughs> comes. <laughs> Points to Emma. Good job. All right, Henry. I Guess think it. there's about 20 years separating us and you guys. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I know. You know, I was going to say before... In my defense, I was going to say to Liza before she even started the game, look, if any of these songs were made after 1980, I'm going to be clueless. So if this was <laughs> pop 2000 songs, I would have all of them. Okay, Henry, are you ready? No. Oh, fuck. I didn't Fuck, it's the music for Deadliest Catch. What the fuck was that? <laughs> oh, shit. I don't know. No? All right. I'm going to play a little bit longer. If you know the answer, shout it out. I think, is it Motley Crue's Stale Horse? No. Bon Jovi? Yes, it is. All right. Do you have <laughs> Dead more? or Alive? Yes, and can you sing the chorus? Uh, uh, how does that go? Where's the chorus begin? The kind of horse, horse I ride, and I wanted, wanted, dead or alive. All right, Bagel gets three nice. Points. Well All done, right. Bagel. Okay, thank you. All right, uh, Bagel, it's your turn. 
Well, I have to say, I'm I'm barely catching the audio for some reason. I think something in the Zoom is like masking it or something. Okay, I'm gonna try and up. The We're gonna turn up the volume for you, Bagel. Okay, let's, let's try that. See if that works. Uh, let's see if this works. All right, let's try this one. Uh, okay. <laughs> It's just garbled. No idea. I, I I couldn't hear anything. It just like was like. Rup, rup, rup. Oh, oh no. easy excuse. Yeah, <laughs> I know it, of course. All right, what is it, Emma? It is Montrose Bad Motor Scooter. And can you sing it? Uh. Get on your bad motor scooter and ride. <laughs> Okay, these kids are like, I don't like this game. <laughs> I, I think you need to. I think you need to stop this game right on that now. I'm beating Micah. Hey, actually, right, that hold album. On, hold on. God, what a blinder of an uh, album! I think that was. Uh, no, no. All right, Emma. Yes, it's, it's your turn. Maddie. Okay. Is she really going out with him? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's the leader of the pack by the Shangri-Las. Um, God, let me think of the chorus. <laughs> who, who the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> you might know once you hear her sing it. I know the chorus. Um, what was it? They told me he was bad, but I knew he was sad. That's how I fell for the, the packer of the leads. Pack. Oh no, that's about the ro- the roadie. Okay, the leader of, of the, the pack. pack. Rum, rum. Right. I'm gonna try and be nice to you guys. Okay. All right, <laughs> all right. Uh, it's a lost cause. Okay, okay. Are you ready, Micah? I am. No. <laughs> oh, I know it. <laughs> oh, God, I know it. I hate myself. Micah's just like, that was a bell. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little bit more. All right. Anybody know the answer? Purple Rain by Prince. Oh, my mom's going to fucking kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I never meant to cause you any problem. I never meant to cause you any pain. I only want to see you laughing. Do, is it laughing? In the purple rain. Purple rain. Purple rain. Purple rain. <laughs> okay. Sorry. All right, I'm going to try it. All right, Charlie. Okay, Charlie. I'm trying to give you a gimme here. Okay, ready? Is that Bow to the Bone? (laughs) Who sings it? (laughs) Not sure. Can you sing the chorus? No. Bad. Oh, is it Elvis? No, no. it's George Thorogood. But you still have a point. Yeah, which is more than. Bad. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. Bad uh, to the bone. All right, Henry. Also sitting at zero. <laughs> okay. I'm so cool. Are you ready? <laughs> Oh, 
Oh God, I know what. Nothing. I got nothing. Are you, are you gonna oh, give, God, I can't remember his name. Are you, you going to give the kids a handicap here and let them hear a little more? Yeah. Let, okay. Because I can't remember his name. Bagel, do you know it? I can't hear it. I guess somebody's talking. I might be able to hear something. Hmm. Nobody. I know it. I've heard the song before. No idea what it is. Emma? It's Right Like the Wind. By, oh God, I've got a brain fart. Oh, Christopher Cross. Of course it's Christopher Cross. You gave her a hit. And how does the (laughs) chorus go? Um, And I've got a long way to go. Such a long way. To make it to the border of Mexico. So I ride like like the the wind. wind. Ride Ride like like the the wind. wind. All right, bagel. I think we've lost this one. Okay. <laughs> well, actually, I'm at a severe disadvantage here. Okay. <laughs> so, somebody talk while it's playing. It might come through then. Actually. Um. Okay. All right, bagel. Let's see. Let's see if you can get this. Do you know what that is? I I can't hear anything. All I heard was like a low hum. All right. Well, hum what's, what's your best guess then? It's the miracle of modern technology. <laughs> oh, that's it. That's it. That's what it's called. <laughs> uh, this might mess up everything, but I'm going to try something this. All right. I'm going to try it one more time. Ready? Okay. Uh, is that Hollywood Holt? Well, that is a, a good guess, but that is not correct. <laughs> okay, I still could barely make anything out. Anyone else know? <laughs> no, I'm completely clueless on this one. If you want to take a ride with me. Oh. Nelly? No one? Who? Yeah. Oh. Okay, we're doing final one. <laughs> this one is worth, right now the score is 383 for Emma, two for Charlie, and three for Bagel. I'm, and I'm abstaining from this last one. So for this three, last one, 385 points worth. <laughs> 385 points. Okay, are you ready? Shout it out if you know it. On the road again. Oh, Willie Nelson on the road again. There we go. Oh, and the winner's <laughs> back. Oh, you got to sing it for the full I 385 points. Get on the road again. <laughs> the life I love is making music with my friends. I can't wait to get on the road again. <laughs> so Bagel's the winner with 300. Congratulations, Bagel. <laughs> Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I only heard it because somebody talked and like some of the music came through the, the <laughs> mic. <laughs> I can still remember, and God, it's going back 40 years. The very first time I listened to music on my motorcycle, and I had, I had the GS11 back then, and the Walkman had just come out. And a friend of mine, John, said, hey, try this. You put on the Walkman. And if you take the foam out of your ears, you can kind of just stick the earbuds in your ears and put your helmet on. And you can listen to music when you're riding. And I'm like, 
Oh, that's novel. So I put the Hold walk- on. The kids in the room don't know what a Walkman is. So a Walkman- I know what a Walkman is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So I had this- We're not l- that young. That's just an old iPod, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I had this little red Walkman in my pocket and these earbuds in, and we just grabbed the first cassette and put it in. And the very first song I ever heard riding on a bike was um, Back on the Road Again by REO Speedwagon. Mm -hmm. God almighty, it changed my life. It was (laughs) the coolest thing ever. So, true story, I had on my BMW RT, it came with a cassette uh, radio built into it right? yeah with the big speakers because i was so modern like who's carrying cassettes around i had cds i had a cd walkman mounted on a dashboard on my bike and i kept cds in the glove box and while i'm riding i would change out my cds (laughs) into this portable walkman but you know it's it's with as fun as it was number one I've always been the kind of rider, I need all my senses when I'm riding, and I cannot tell you how many times I've had my ass saved by hearing a car coming up Mm -hmm. beside me Mm -hmm. long before I see it. And, of course, if you're listening to music, that takes it away. And there's always that factor. If you're listening to a banging song, you're going to ride quicker. And you can't escape from that. It's, It's what kind of what you do. And if you, you know, if you're listening to like cool jazz and everything and you're riding really mellow and then some really banging tune comes on, you're going to ride quick. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword. I tend not to listen to much music on the bike anymore. I tend not to ride faster, but I do dance on my motorcycle. Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) I play disco. (laughs) I'm not shocked by that. (laughs) I do. I was so getting down to some disco on my bike. I was having a good time. But, you know... um, as I was heading out on this ride, I had to stop at the gas station. And as I'm fueling up, you know, you have to choose which gas you want. What are we? It's like, what, 87, what 89, are they? 91, 90, 110, something like that, right? <laughs> and I'm on the Africa Twin. I'm like, I, I've never really thought about what kind of gas. I assume I'm just putting the, the cheapest stuff in. Right. I put the cheapest stuff in everything. Right. In fact, I don't know if any of my bikes right. should be... Taking yes. premium stuff. Right. Lead, no lead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and you're going back a bit there, Charlie. So I thought about that, and I called Emma. I'm like, Shh. like, what bikes actually require premium gas? Oh, more and, than you'd think. And, like, so, yeah, so tell me that. Why, why is it? What well, bikes require premium gas? Well, wait, you, you just hang on, no, no, no. You mm-hmm. see, you're kind of getting ahead of yourself, because what we need to do is we need to get back into what... Actually, gasoline is and how it's played such a huge and, part and in our lives. And is it true the middle one is just a ripoff? That's not true. Okay. Red uh, bikes get premium. <laughs> so, yeah, red bikes. Yeah. Doesn't matter. If you have a if it's you red. have if you have a moped and you paint it red, now it's going to take premium. So <laughs> Hold on. I'm distracted. So, gasoline. Emma, hold on. What is on Henry's foot? What is it's on? It's the Daytona the inner booty. Yeah. It's just the inner boot of the Daytona. The Daytona has a separate boot. He looks like a like a, a, a stormtrooper that got peed on. Yeah, they have, well, I mean, they have co- an inner protective okay, shell. Sorry. What color? I mean, what color would you describe? Is that taupe? It's piss snow, pissed on snow yellow. I actually think that's exactly the color that it is. Taupe? I think you're exactly correct. <laughs> or peed on snow. I think yeah. it's peed on snow. <laughs> okay, sorry. Okay, very gas. good. Gas, tell us about gas. So, um, 
So gasoline or petroleum distillate, um, hence petrol, has played a big part oh. in our lives. And in order for an engine, an internal combustion engine to run, there is combustion internally. That is an internal mm-hmm. combustion engine. It needs three things. It needs compression. And we're going to come to that because that's going to play a part in, in gasoline. It needs a spark to ignite it. And then it needs fuel. And some boffin a long time ago figured out that the most efficient number for um, gasoline vapors to burn and be at the most explosive was about 16 to 1. And I mean, it varies. And we've talked about this in the past. But now we're going to get into the gasoline itself because gasoline vapor is actually quite unstable. And in a controlled environment, i.e. your combustion chamber, Mm -hmm. you don't want it basically going off when you don't want it going off. So... As a, as a perfect example, pre-ignition is a very, very real thing. And what is pre-ignition? Yes, Charlie has it all the time. Premature ignition? Uh, no, that's different. <laughs> okay. So, but it, uh, it actually amounts to the same thing. It's going off before you should. And pre-ignition is when the environment in the combustion chamber is such that the fuel can ignite before the spark plug. Well, so this is pre-detonation too, right? And you can describe it as pre-detonation or just detonation. And it can do... The best case scenario is you'll hear a knock in the engine. And pre-detonation, that's what Micah has when Charlie doesn't wear a helmet. Right. Yes. Exactly. Okay. But, I mean, in the old days, it could do real damage to the engine. I mean, you could... Best case scenario is, you, you know, you could burn... A little part of the uh, edge of the piston but you could actually put a hole in a piston mm. from this and these days engines are designed with all kinds of safeguards most car engines have got anti-knock sensors to really help with um auto combustion which is basically when the fuel ignites itself or pre-ignition but when we talk about fuel we talk about putting additives in it to help it become more stable and this is where we come up with the octane number which is really it's an ron number which is a research octane number wait i want to go back for a moment i thought of a good response to what you said (laughs) yes Um, so i'm going to go back and i'm going to tell my joke and the joke is that um i should have said at that moment (laughs) that's not pre Detonation. Detonation, it's premeditation. <laughs> See, Ooh, that's funny. Ha ha. Okay, so we can Hold continue. On. I'll edit that together. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So, basically, the higher the number, the more stable the fuel is. Well, what does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. So, if we take an engine like your Africa Twin, mm-hmm. your Africa Twin is a world bike, and it's designed to be sold all over the world. Okay. As such, it's designed to run on pretty much whatever fuel you can get for it, as are most Japanese bikes. When we were gassing up at this station in Pakistan, it was a shed, and they were pulling gas out of buckets and pouring them into... Well, that's not necessarily <laughs> a bad thing. to put into our tank. It's like, oh, yeah, where'd that come from? <laughs> right. So... That's world gas. <laughs> um 
So basically, the minimum octane number you can buy in the States is 87. And that's a scale which is based on the stability. The higher the number, the more stable the fuel is. So in simpler terms, the ignition point will be slightly different on different fuels to match the timing on the engine? There's a lot of factors. Because when you compress something, it lowers the temperature it needs to reach to combust. So here's the deal. There's so many factors that are involved in the design of engine, including, but not limited to, ignition timing, Mm -hmm. camshaft timing, compression ratio, piston design, combustion chamber design, valve design, intake runner design, and exhaust design, both pre- and post-catalytic converter, if your bike has got one. All (laughs) these factors come into play and determine what fuel your bike needs because there's not only an RON number there's an MON number and that's far more specific um MON is a motor octane number and so a motor octane number when a manufacturer makes a bike like the Africa Twin mm-hmm. they'll test it and test the fuel it needs and you will say okay the Honda whatever 1200 twin africa twin engine has an mon of 87 and you match it up with the so RON not, of fuel they're not tuning the bike to the gas well i mean they, in a certain extent they are it's a parameter you kind of start with because if you're look if you're designing a world bike and pretty much everything that rolls off the line in japan is a world bike these days you're not always going to have access to premium fuels. Um, And so it behooves you to design it to run on gasoline that's pretty much available freely throughout the world. Then why do they have three octanes? Why can't they just design all vehicles to the one? Wouldn't that be efficient, more efficient? Yes and no. Okay. So... European vehicles traditionally do require premium gasoline. And again, there's a variety of reasons for this. And it could be that where the bikes are designed or where the cars are designed um, and just the availability of gas and the availability of the market you're going to go after with this bike. But the fact of the matter is, is most Ducatis have an MON number of at least 99, so you need premium gas. Most Triumphs have an MON number of 99 and above, so you need premium gas. Same with European cars, or Minis, Jaguars, BMWs. They all have MON numbers of 99 and above. So, it's just, there are so many factors in the way that they're designed. It, you know, I could devote weeks to this. So... So Henry, yes. Do you what octane? Do any of your bikes take any premium gas? Oh yes. Oh yeah. Uh, my Moto Guzzi's and the Yamaha I have outside take uh, nine, specifically say put ninety one octane gas in it. Where does it say that? On the gas tank itself. So I just looked up my KTM nine ninety. Yes. I'm supposed to be putting premium fuel in it. Yes, and I you don't are. think I ever have. 
Well, you pot- and I don't recall seeing that you anywhere. potentially could be doing damage to it. I'm really surprised at your Yamaha. But I mean, there's anomalies everywhere. There's there's probably mm. some quirk in the design mm-hmm. that means that it does require a higher octane gas. It requires the you know ninety one octane. I kept saying ninety nine. Forgive me. So it requires ninety one octane and above gas. Um, but generally, the Japanese manufacturers do try and stick. And the anomalies are you know R one Ms require ninety one plus and. Um, So I was because I was asking you like um, on a I I assume that on a higher performance vehicle like a Panigale or an R1 that they would take premium fuel. Is that correct? Yeah, broadly speaking, yes. And the engines have higher compression Mm -hmm. um, in order to develop the more fuel. And so if you have a higher compression engine, things like pre-ignition or auto-ignition become more prevalent. So you're going to need a higher-octane fuel to combat that. Also, in order to get power, the actual ignition system, you might have to advance it a little bit further, which can also lead to pre-ignition. So you want more stability in the fuel to overcome that, hence the higher-octane number. Now, back in the older... And they knew this back in the 1920s. And back in the 1920s, to make the fuel more stable, they put a lead additive in it. It's got a, it's got a correct name, which has got about a million syllables in it. I, I like the taste better when it had the lead. It smells really good. But, your, yeah. but basically, lead, yeah, exactly. But basically, it made the fuel more stable. The byproduct of it was, it also acted as a great upper cylinder lubricant. The downside of it is, well, it gave you cancer. It made you stupid. (laughs) And it made you stupid. Well, you know. Um, The additives they used to put in back then were called aromatics. And they, they, I mean, the term oh, aromatic. Like putting the strawberry scent in Yes, the exactly. Two it's, it's it, yeah. you know, it's the botanicals. But um, the enhancers they used to put in fuels were, were called aromatics and two still are. Um, lead has really been phased out pretty much in the automobile industry since the 70s and there are replacements for it yeah um so on on an old vintage bike like we've got some models behind right 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 1942 so a 1942 harley you're basically dealing with very very inefficient vehicles so they're going to need a very very stable fuel in Mm. order to run properly also the way the engines were designed they do need a certain amount of lubrication from the fuel in the upper cylinder and valve gear hence they actually would run better with lead so then if bikes are higher performance on premium then why aren't they making all bikes higher performance in does it cost any more to design the bike to run on premium well i mean the the, the manufacturer cost i don't think is going to change too much no the manufacturer but the desirability of the bike is oh you got to be- make a world bike because if okay the performance of the bike is not the only factor you take into account when buying a bike. Otherwise, we'd all be buying R1Ms 
or we'd all be buying, you know. No, but even like uh, Charlie's Ninja 400, right? Yeah. That, that technically is a performance bike. Why aren't they trying to squeak out more? I don't think it necessarily give more. Okay. All right. Because it, once you get you, up to a... It, you lower reliability when you increase the... You can lower reliability. You can lower tractability. You can change the power characteristics of an yeah. engine. I mean, these are incredibly clever people my, designing these. My CBR that I had for a moment before it exploded. That you blew up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, that was exciting. But that ran on 110 leaded gasoline. Wow. And you could buy that by the pump at most racetracks. Okay. Right. But so, you also had to sign a form when you did. Yeah. And it, it was locked and it, you know, it cost like $10 a gallon. And it, you know. So, Emma, I want to cover some, some myths. Yes. Answer these. So, as I said, I've heard that the medium grade is just to trick people into paying a little bit more. It's the same stuff as the low grade. It's not. Okay. It actually has enhancers that bring the octane rating up you have 87 89 91 or you can also express it as regular um super and premium something like that yeah. yeah something like that and if you have a car that under some circumstances you hear a knock when it's on regular uh my old corvair there you go. Was an example. I I was told if you hear knocking that you need to go up. up the and that yeah. and the Corvair is a great example because there was a couple of things about the Corvair that worked against it. Um, it was air cooled. Yeah, and of course here we are in California. I think temperature could change, but it was yeah. rear engined. Mm-hmm. So like all air cooled vehicles, ambient temperature had a huge yeah change in how the car ran now a good dodge because as you know here in california i mean we pay a great deal for fuel i mean not as much as our friends in europe are paying but you know we pay a chunk of money and it's very very tempting you see well the regulars five dollars and whatever ten cents and, and i just want to clarify we pay more for gas but less for artichokes. Yes. Okay. So it and, less, and less for avocados as well. <laughs> Whether you like them or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Ten for a dollar. And premium is maybe 30 or 40 cents a gallon more. Yeah. So if you've got, if we go back to your Corvair, oh, and we can substitute an air-cooled, an old air-cooled mm-hmm. Honda CB450 or something, okay. and you've just got, you experience what about a little... A Heinkel? Or a Heinke Heinkel, an HE triple one bomber. Well, I I had hardened valve seats put in my Heinkel, so I can. Wow, yeah, and we're going to come to hardened valve seats. <laughs> um, so a Dodge may be, if you're experiencing the not, go for the mid range. There's very few vehicles on the road that actually specify the mid range. Yeah. That specify the eighty nine. There are a couple. And one of the ones I'm thinking on, if I remember right, was, do you remember the old Datsun 240Zs? I love the 260Z, mm. but yeah. I think that that was um, that was an 89-octane car. Okay, here's another rumor. Yes. I've heard that if you put race gas in your bike, it'll go faster. No, 100% that, true. That when you're at the racetrack, you should gas up. 
Because you don't so, think your KLR faster. What race gas is, is regular gas with more additives to raise the octane number to basically make it more stable. That theoretically should give you more power, right? Kind of wrong. Well, they give you less power the higher octane because it has a lower chance to combust or whatever. Right. right. And you might actually, it you might, might make your bike go slower because yeah. in order to ignite the stuff, you need a fatter spark. Well, there, there's less you, energy in the fuel. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's more stable and therefore less um, energetic. But you gain the benefits from less energy fuel because you're compressing it more. Right. So, I, when I was gassing up my Africa Twin, I, yes. I, and I was thinking, wait, what kind of gas does it take? I right. looked around the tank. There was no sign on it. So, all bikes will be marked if they right. are not the cheap stuff, right? Right. I got to go look at my KTM because I don't remember it saying right. that. Read well, your okay. owner's manual. Yeah, Ask read your, your owner's. Mom, your, <laughs> your motorcycle operator's manual. And this mm -hmm. applies mm. to so many things. You know, back when I worked at a dealership and we used to do pre-delivery inspections for bikes. And, you know, one of the things that I used to enjoy doing was actually presenting the bike to the new owner. And I'd lead them out into the workshop and the bike would be cleaned and sitting on the ramp. And we'd go over it, and I would always hand them the workshop manual and say, look, this is actually a mine of information. Just read it. It's sit, sit up in bed tonight and read your workshop manual cover to cover. If you need to, go out on the bike, read the chapter, go out on the bike and see what it does. And I had so many owners come back and actually thank me for that and say, I had no idea this bike could do that. So there it is in black and white on the, in the workshop manual. In England... It is illegal to sell a new bike without the maker's handbook. Mm. You cannot so, do it. Wow. It's considered that much of an important You're document. You're saying just the little manual that comes yeah, in the book. Yeah, that's all you need to read. Because when I hear workshop manual, no, no, I think for, it's like, it's, forgive me. It, yeah. It's the, the owner's handbook. I want yeah, to make okay, that absolute. Yeah. The mm. little handbook, the little manual that comes with the bike is a mine of information. Well, crap. I just looked up my 690. It needs premium, too. Of course it does. I'm not. I'm cheap. But let's let's explore the um, the crap, Africa Twin and why in. you can usually squeak away with it. So um, the Africa Twin is a big, lazy 1100cc V-Twin. With 1,000. 1,000cc V-Twin. Well, the new ones are. are um, Mine, yeah. It's water-cooled, which certainly helps. Mm. Um, it's a very efficient engine, which certainly helps. It's got modern fuel injection. It's got modern ignition, all of which will have safeguards built in to ensure that it doesn't grenade itself like in the old days. A lot of the reason that older vehicles needed premium gas is they would self-grenade if you allowed them to from auto-ignition or from pre-ignition. So, are you saying that if I put the required premium gas in my KTMs, that it'll run faster, or I'm just less doing less damage? I mean, <laughs> theoretically, it would run slower because it has less fuel, but you're going to not harm the engine. Yeah, exactly. Um, Wait, it's going to go slower if I use well, the Well, so the higher what? octane fuel has less energy available in it. Okay, this is getting complicated. So, how many people do you think are out there using the wrong kind of gas? Loads. How common is oh, this? Oh, it's, it's common as heck. They'll put the more expensive in because more better. So, <laughs> and now here's a bike. Don't, don't, this is not Harley hating. But I don't consider, like, 
a Harley as a performance vehicle. Right. But it takes premium. Right. Why is that? Well, there's a variety of factors it takes premium. Um, it's air-cooled. Um, well, because as the engine gets hotter, it's more likely to combust sooner, right? right? And they are, for what they are, they're quite high-compression engines to get that thump out of it. Um, it's a long-stroke engine. There's... It, it's got quite a large combustion chamber and quite large valves. And like, I mean, if you're on the highway and there's a lot of airflow and the engine's staying really cool, like you might get away with a lower right. octane. But if you're just sitting at a stoplight for an hour, then you might get it detonations issues. Interestingly enough, I believe, and I do stand to be corrected if, if one of our listeners own ones, I think the Pan America takes 87 because it's liquid cool. So, uh, so I was going to ask you my next question. And this, is, this is a whammy. You're not prepared for this. Yes. It, can you name a bike that people may be surprised to find out takes lower lower octane gas. The KLR six fifty. So the Pan America and a bike <laughs> that you might be surprised requires higher premium higher. Oh gas, sure. I mean gas. you What's an example. So you I mean you said the Pan America takes the low octane gas. I believe so because it is it's liquid cooled. Um Okay. So what would we be surprised to find out takes premium? What most Harleys, right? Um little uh, KTM 200. It <laughs> takes premium. Yeah. Oh, you're saying like the dirt oh. bike or whatever? Yeah, the yeah. KTM 200. Wow, okay. Takes premium. Interesting. So, so it's not... A lot of people associate premium gas with a premium bike. Right. And if yeah. you paint with quite broad strokes, that is true. But there's, there's always that one little curveball. Well, it might not be a premium bike, but the motor that it's yeah that they use. Now, I wanted to talk about Bagel's hardened valve seats because there's often there's well, Bagel, are you comfortable talking about your seat, your hardened seat? Yes. Okay. <laughs> because there's two I'm, I'm, factors going on here. There's the lead in fuel, which helped it um, raise the octane rating and make it more stable. But it also acted as an upper cil- well, cylinder so lubricant. Did this bike originally take leaded fuel? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yes, then now. Because that's all there was, right. So running it yep. now, you can't get leaded fuel easily. However, now we're going to get onto a subject of don't judge me on this bagel methyl tertiary butyl ether, MTBE, which oh, is yes. an upper cylinder lubricant. And the EPA have been quietly phasing it out. It achieved a complete phase out in 2005. I think I saw an ad for that on Pornhub. Yeah, you might have. Um, MTBE (laughs) girls. Um, And that was a substitute for an upper cylinder lubricant. And when that was phased out, what Bagel's trying to avoid is valve seat recession because the modern fuels, um, because of the way they're formulated, with... Um, uh, ether, and we're gonna we're gonna come to that. We're gonna come to methanol in gas, because I know other people have talked yeah. about it. But I'm gonna tell you a couple of things you don't know about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Combustion chamber temperatures have become higher, and with higher combustion chamber chamber temperatures, you get valve seat recession. What is valve seat recession? Well, the seat literally buries its way into the head. Now it's an inconvenience for people who have bucket and shim because. 
you know, you can't hear your valves going out of spec because the valve clearances are getting small, not big. Is this why Nock has to do his valves all the time? Yes. Okay. Well, because the engine gets hot, so the metal gets softer. So right. That and then valve bang, 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 bang. Hammering, hammering it, it It's hammering it in because we don't, combustion temper temp, te- chamber temperature is higher and there's less upper cylinder lubricant a lot of which have been proven to have carcinogens in them. So bagel, the real crime against the Heinke Heinkel is, yes, initially the lead, but the phasing out of MTBE was the final nail in its coffin, and he had to reach for the hardened valve seats because that engine was designed as a very low-stress engine. The valve seats in it are probably very soft. And yeah. I have seen BMWs where the valves have just dug their way into the head a, a millimeter. So you actually mm. run out of valve. You oh, run wow. out of rocker clearance. They they recede that much. And the BMWs are very, very low stress engines, so you that can happen. Usually you have to do something about it long before then, but that's an example. Um do you want to talk a little more? Well, we've talked so about... I, I, well, I do have another question for you. Yes. Let's just touch real quick on gas additives. Are they good? Some are, some aren't. A lot of it's snake oil. So there's things you need to Marvel's look... mystery oil. Yeah, Marvel mystery oil <laughs> ah, is... No one knows what it does, but it's good shit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Marvel mystery oil does help as a um, upper cylinder lubricant. It's... Um, it's, it doesn't necessarily make the fuel more stable. Mm, okay. So. But like <sighs> engines like the Heinkel that required leaded fuel. It can help. It, it can help you get new life out of an older yeah. engine. Be, because it originally was running on something. Right, hard. right, right. And wasn't that like created for like old VWs? Yeah, and exactly. Running, but yeah. And what's the other, the other one we've interviewed them before? Um, the fuel additive. Good stuff. Seafoam. Seafoam. Yes. Well, put that wh- shit in your fuel, put it in your gas tank, put it in your freaking oil, sleep with it. What seafoam? <laughs> put it in your mixed drink. What seafoam actually does, it's a fuel stabilizer, but it keeps the um it keeps the fuel stable over longer periods of time. And this is becoming a real problem. We're going to talk about this a little bit in a minute. Um but again, it's back to the upper cylinder lubricant. It okay. contains stuff that helps lubricate the upper cylinder and your valves um you see you know it's good stuff it's good stuff but i just want to touch briefly on ethanol so yeah this is i mean a big and it's going to be it's it's brief because is is it still it's still coming more oh yes okay no we need to put up with it and it's it's kind of an unfortunate because wasn't it recently like a year or two ago that ducati had a recall because ethanol was screwing up the tanks on brand new ducatis well here's the problem ethanol if you regard it just as a fuel to burn ethanol is magic stuff i mean it's got an ron rating of 113 it's got a very very high and it helps the farmers well, and it's clean burning. It doesn't contain carcinogens. Theoretically, it's great, but there are problems with it. And the problem is it's very corrosive to certain types of rubber. Mm-hmm. It, um, it evaporates a lot quicker than fuel. And here's the problem. So on our older carburetted bikes, 
if you're running, say, 10% ethanol content, that 10% quickly evaporates in the carburetor and leaves very, very corrosive elements mm. that can eat away at the rubber. You know the uh, uh, the uh, float valves? Yeah. The little rubber tips on them yeah. can get eaten away. And then your carbs start leaking, the O-rings around the jets start leaking, the O-rings around the float valves, because it's being eaten away by the ethanol. And I know the controversy here is we're not being given the choice. It's being put into the gas, uh, so you right. don't have a choice. And I do know that there's a whole other product line right. that got screwed over by this. And any, any bike, I've, I've had it, where you had an old tank and yes. you used tank liner. yes. It'll eat it away. It'll eat it away. Mm. Because it's the corrosive elements in the mm -hmm. ethanol. What other people don't realize is ethanol, when it burns, it is 35% oxygen. It's an oxygenator. And so if you use it add to make the fuel more stable for higher compression engines, you might actually elevate combustion chamber temperatures even more because there's so much oxygen being introduced. Running lean, pre-ignition, all the things you don't want are happening because ethanol has such a high oxygen content. So, you know, it's it's not quite the miracle cure. Um, it's got its place. I mean, I'm very, very old school. I like big carbureted bikes. You know, I mean, any um, any ethanol content is really bad for a carbureted bike. Um, and especially if one that if, if you're going to store it for any length of time. You know, yeah. back in the old days, I've had bikes at Mototown that have been sitting for three or four years. And I can still get them to run on the fuel yeah. because it's three or four year old fuel. The stuff we get now. And it's not a California problem because I know people, oh, you Californians, you get shitty fuel. Fuel's shitty all over the world right now. Um, it can go bad in three months. Ooh. And it's all the ethanol content. Mm -hmm. You know, 5% is okay, 10% is pushing it a little bit. You know, up in Canada, you can get 85% ethanol fuel. Wow. 85% at the pump. But, you, you, you know, this is stuff you use every day and you use it for your rider and you make sure all of that's gone when it's time to lay your bike up because you're mm -hmm. talking it going bad probably in a matter of a couple of weeks well and i know that i had asked you to talk about like alternative fuels i want to save that yeah we can save that but i want to talk a whole another thing coming up i want to talk about because there is fuel you can buy you know that is 100 octane for the Best performing engines. It's got lead in it. So not race fuel. Not race fuel. I think I'm going to take a guess and I'm gonna say our friends at Cleveland Moto have tipped me off to this. There is they, a problem. They though. talk about they spread the word down at the boat dock gas. that you can get the boat gas. Like that's the good shit, man. Some boat gas, but it's really at the airport. Oh. So if you go down, so when we do Wait, our Misfits yes. rally. This is, a, this is a top tip. Here's a Misfits top oh. tip. So get chummy with a friend who has a Cessna yeah. or a Mooney M21 or, or a Piper Navajo. Take a drill bit. Uh, drill no, don't do that. The, don't oh, steal okay. people's fuel. And then allow them to assign their tail number 
to your bike mm. and then put aviation gas in it and it'll be 100 octane with lead and your bike will thank you and you'll probably give your mum cancer <laughs> but your bike will run like Jeez. brilliant <laughs> wow that's a good tip well cool so the uh, take takeaway for me is I need to pay more attention to my bikes. I need to go put premium in my KTMs and maybe some seafoam too. Well, the truth is... Or a Marvel mystery. You've done a lot of miles on your KTM. Mm -hmm. And a lot of miles in my company, we've ridden it in blistering heat across rush hour traffic Mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. We've stormed back on the same trip at 100 miles an hour all the way. 65. And (laughs) um, it really didn't miss a beat. I think you'd be okay, Liza. There's a lot going for the KTM. It's very, very high-geared. So at that kind of speed, the revs are still low. It's liquid-cooled, so it has fairly stable ambient temperature around the engine. Um, You know, and it's a very efficient fuel injection system in it. I mean, KTM fuel injection was terrible for years. Now it's very, very good for that reason. Um, I think if you haven't been experiencing a little little man with a hammer inside your engine going knock, 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 no. and you haven't been experiencing power loss, yeah, I'd just carry on, to be honest with you. Well, thank you. But, you know, if, if, you're, if you go out and you throw your hard-earned bread on a Panigale V4S, stick with, read, first off, read your handbook, cover to cover. And if it says put premium gas in it, do it. Or just go to the airport and make or, a friend. And Well, ah, now hang on. Oh. You can't put aviation fuel in super modern bikes because it'll foul up your catalytic converter. Oh, jeez. So this is for... This is really complicated. So this is for our older bike people. Rufus would love aviation gas. Okay, I just have one more question. Yes. You. I don't know how many states this exists, but I know that when we go up to the one show yes. in Oregon, yes. we're not allowed to pump gas. What's up with that? They don't trust us? <laughs> I, don't, I mean, it's, it's funny. It always makes me smile in Oregon because whenever my little nieces have to come, come and visit me, I have to reteach them how to pump their own gas because, <laughs> you know, they, um, they've had gas pumped for them did, all Did you life. know that, Micah? That, have you been to a state where you're not allowed to pump the gas? I have not since I am a person who drives. It's it's kind of weird. It is weird. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, think, I, I mean. Think there's two states, actually. Oh, wait, Bagel, when was the last time you pumped your gas? Uh, I mean, I pump gas on my bike when I gas up the bike because uh, they they don't want to take the risk of ah, spilling gas all over your bike. Yeah, so, so if you're riding, you know, it's a different story. But but they still do want in a lot of places they still want to to like pay, give the attendant the card, and the attendant puts the card in the machine and works the machine so that they're still yes. involved somehow. So, but then so they hand you the. Pump. I'm- I'm going to be interested how they're going to make out with King Kong because I'm driving up there for the one show and mm-hmm. King <laughs> King Kong's got a custom-made flatbed with a uh, a fuel filler from a bayliner on it. And mm-hmm. because it's kind of horizontal, you have to have an EVAP fuel head that you push hard against it. Otherwise, it'll cough and just spill fuel back everywhere. So I'm uh, hoping they've got the EVAP fuel heads in Oregon. I don't think so. It's there's is a gasoline or a diesel? Gasoline. Yeah, they don't have the the condoms up here. Yeah, you're screwed, man. 
So I think it's going to be a very slow fill. <laughs> I think it's you're, going to be a really slow fill. Up. You're going to have to bring your own protection. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> We're going to have to figure it out with duct tape or something, well, <laughs> or a, you know, maybe, maybe gas up right before you hit the border. And yeah, I think that's going to be the method. And you know, the trouble is, there's a lot of Oregon to get through. Yes. Wow. All right. Yep. Well. Thank you, Emma, for explaining. No, you, I well, realize it's something I've never really, really questioned or gotten. Well, the truth into. is, if you were paying attention, you've probably got less idea than when you first started. I mean, <laughs> this is like real. <laughs> this is yeah. chemical stuff. <laughs> the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Right. Yeah. Um, Just do whatever your manual says. Forget everything we said, and you'll be fine. But like I said, having an old car that I knew, like it would talk to me and tell me what it wanted. Right. I. I know how to listen to a bike, and none of my KTMs have told me, you're screwing up, man. And, you know, the so. truth is most vehicles sold since 2000 have got all kinds of safeguards built within them to stop them talking to you. Now, can a higher octane fuel make your motorcycle run cooler? Potentially, because yeah. there's less there's less combustion going on, so... It might lower the combustion chamber, chamber temperatures, but you're not going to know if the combustion chamber temperatures, because we're just talking about it's, combustion. Well, it's not something you're going to notice, but it could affect the wear of the motorcycle. Yeah. My argument to that is if it's not, if you haven't got pre-ignition and you haven't got power loss and you haven't got pinging, yeah. um, I mean, your engine's running pretty much at its most efficient anyway. Different of like having a, change your valves out at like 120,000 miles and 125,000 miles. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, but whether that's whether that's combustion chamber, temp chamber temperature or just lack of upper cylinder lubricant, yeah, you know, yeah. There's right. so many factors involved in this. Well, next time I want you to explain the hydrogen fuel to me. That's a whole other thing I've gotten into. Oh, that's a great we'll that. I that's a great topic. But for now, I want to take it over to Micah. Hello. We had a great topic suggestion. It's been Easter today. Yes. It's yes. Easter Sunday. You want to pose the question to the group? Absolutely. So since it is Easter, my question is, uh, if you could resurrect one bike, what would it be? <laughs> so my, my idea of this was immediately what bike that you no longer own would you like to show up perfect uh lead like the best that it was ever running for you back in your garage not necessarily the best that was ever running for you but in perfect running condition like a charlie wanted his cbr back yeah. in a brand new version yeah exactly okay. um like i would love to have honestly i miss my gs500 dearly um when so it if was you could running. have a brand new resurrected but i want my paint back I want my paint back. I want my You just want it tank. to not die randomly. Yeah, I just okay. want my bike when it was working appropriately before. You just want to resurrect before your GS. Before it Exactly, okay. my GS. But Liza was talking about this well, as a little bit different. So, and I'll share my interpretation, and we'll go around the room, but everyone can use whatever their interpretation is. My interpretation was, what bike would I like to see resurrected from a manufacturer like a lot of these retro reissue bikes like oh emma michael's new bike that he got oh the z-rex yeah he got a cool bike and i thought you know what 
I would love for Kawasaki to reissue a newer updated version of the GPZ 1100. That's been one of my favorite bikes I owned. And if they came out with the new GPZ 1100, I might be all over that. I mm-hmm. think I like that. So that would be what I'd like to see resurrected. Charlie, what do you want to see resurrected? I mean, my CBR would be pretty cool if it never blew up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, the bike I regret selling the most was probably the Daytona. The bike I regret you selling the most was your uh, DRZ 400. I miss that bike all the time. Oh yeah, that, that was bike. a great freaking bike. But so, at least Adrian still has it. That so you want to? So you? But you just you're saying you want it back. What do you want to see resurrected, new again? Gosh, um, your devil bike? No, they mm-hmm. still make those. Well, an RM125 you can just go and buy. Um, maybe like. I mean, I would say your medium displacement adventure bikes, but those are kind of coming back anyways. I mean. So you have no answer? No. Uh, Can you give him an answer for him, Micah? Uh, He misses the CBR. Okay, the CBR. Yeah. I'd like to get that resurrected. Okay. Henry, is there a bike? Super Hawk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Hey, Jeremy still has that bike. That bike's still running. Yeah, but that's, that's a, a, good a new Superhawk. Like, I mean, okay. that bike fucking railed. You know, until you and I think Knock would appreciate gas. that too. That's a good, good one. How about you, Henry? What do you want to see resurrected? From my old history, I would like to get my old VFR eight hundred back. Hmm. The old, yeah, the old fifth gen. And in terms of like a bike, I'd want a manufacturer to bring back. It would be Moto Guzzi bringing back the Le Mans name. Hmm. I still own my original, my old uh, 04 uh, Moto Guzzi Le Mans, and it's still, I think, probably one of the best, sportiest bike Moto Guzzi has made since Piaggio took it over. So, All right, fair enough. Bagel, what about you? Well, um... Is it, would it be Heinkel? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, um... I, 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 What's that bathtub I mean, scooter one? Is it what? The one right behind me? No, but um, was it a, was it called a bathtub Heinkel or something? Uh, no. Who made that? There was a bathtub scooter. Are you talking about Cushman's? It looked no. like a ba- was bathtub it a BMW? Does that ring a bell at all? I know nothing I, about okay. scooters. I don't right. know what you're talking Sorry. about. All right, which what do, would you <laughs> like aside to see? from the death traps resurrected? Well, I mean, I'm a little tempted to say my Heinkel, but it's it's it, it's got its history, you know. So I, I, you know, I'm not sure I'd want to put it back to brand new condition. But the bike that I would like to put back to original condition is my uh, 1974 Sprint Vespa, um, which was originally a San Francisco police bike. Hmm. And, and my, because I do want to restore that back to original. You'll never take me alive, copper. Mm. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I just, I, I want to do that just because it's, it's uh, the way that bike found its way to me was just so, uh, so uh, serendipitous that I just I feel like it's it's my mission to to restore it, hmm. and uh, and it's a fairly rare bike too. So okay, Micah. Now I think I understand what you meant by this was what bike that you killed would you want to put in a cave and have it come out better than new? Exactly. Okay. Mm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Emma? Well, I'm kind of follow- following on what Micah. Micah's train of thought because when I first met Micah she was riding around on the back of Charlie's bike and that GS500 was Micah's first proper bike Mm. 
And with all its faults, that was freedom to you. And, yeah. And it's like your first love. Yeah. And the first real proper bike I had that didn't spill its guts everywhere was my Kawasaki KH250. Mm. And it was a three-cylinder, two-stroke bike. And I just rode that bike everywhere. And I was I was still kind of learning about bikes a lot, and I abused it terribly. And more often than not, it didn't run on three cylinders. But that was such a pivotal moment for me because that was... That was freedom. That was that was the difference between me being like, hey, mum, can I have a ride into wherever? And um, my brother had just left home to go to university in Bristol, and I missed him so terribly. And that was the – I could jump on the KH and mm-hmm. and take the, the A38 all the way. You, I didn't want to go on the motorway. I didn't want to go on the freeways because it was too little for that. Um, but I could go on the A38 and take it all the way down to Bristol and visit with my brother all weekend and then ride back on Sunday night. And it was, it was you know, it was a great little bike and it was a period in my life that I'm very nostalgic about. So, all right, Micah, given that your definition of it, oddly enough, my answer is still GPZ 1100, mm. but this will be the last GPZ 1100 that I owned that, was beautiful. It had a custom paint job. I don't know if I've shown you pictures. There are some out in the garage. It was that Kawasaki green, but it was like sparkly paint right. with red pinstriping and a Corbin seat. And the bike was pristine and clean. And I bought it uh, used on eBay. It was so nice. But when I got it, it never quite ran right. It kept cut cylinders, kept cutting out and coming back, cutting out and coming back. And for years, no one could ever figure out what it was. And I finally gave up on it because I could not reliably ride it anywhere. And Mm. I ended up selling it to somebody who said they were going to fix it up. And I've told the story before. And then like two years later, I got a notification from the tow yard. It had been abandoned. The parts had been stripped off. Oh, that's how I heard about Goose, too. And it's and it was just like such a heartbreak. Oh, was that how Goose ended up? Yeah, I got a, a call saying or a thing in the mail saying, "Hey, um, this bike that has your name on it um, is uh, was towed from San Francisco. Um, pick it up if you want, and you'll have to pay this much to get it out." And I called them, and I was like, "What the heck?" And they were like, "Well, yeah, we sent this to the last five owners." And so I think that he, I think he's gone. Oh, yep. yeah. So yeah, that that was my heartbreak story, and I considered for a minute. To go get it, but they said and it looked like it had been lying on its side for a long time. And, it's just and like, you know, uh, truthfully, that might have been an expensive fix because th- those old GPZs had very, very early form of fuel injection on there. The Kawasaki DFI, the digital yeah, fuel injection, there, you couldn't get one, which was problematic. The ECU on it was the size of like a dictionary, <laughs> yeah. huge, mm. um, and. You know, the electronic ignition, the capacitor discharge ignition gave problems, the coils gave problems, the EFI gave problems. It would have been a very, very expensive I would fix. S- I, hmm. But it was so pretty. I loved that bike. Anyway, Batmobile. That, would, that would be mine. Very swoopy. Yeah. They were very swoopy style. So, Micah, I wanted to um, get back to you. And, and, and we have, over the years, have kind of followed your progress 
as a motorcyclist, going from a passenger to getting your own bike to taking classes to becoming an instructor. So where are you at now? And, and, and you know, what are you doing now? Let's catch up. Yeah, um, basically just that. I teach. It's my full-time job. I teach for the California Motorcycle Safety Program. You're entering also, Moto2 this year? No, no, no. Um, I also teach for Z2 Track Days with their uh, Road Rider 2.0 program. Basically, my whole life during the week is get to talk about motorcycles and hopefully save some lives in the process. And... You have a new phase you're going to be entering as an instructor. Yeah, I'm uh, trying to hopefully join our quality assurance team within the program. I'm I'm starting to train towards that. So that's my hope for my next steps. So I'm assuming that you have an advantage for this, being that you're already a bossy bitch. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> No, I really shoo-in. Yeah, I I it's not about judging other instructors, it's just about making sure that the program is at its very best that everyone is getting the information that they need to and it's I heard it described recently as a uh, a peer mentorship program and that was what drew my interest to it. I just want to make sure that instructors are uh, as good as they can be because we have such a great program locally and I want to make sure that everyone is doing it as best as they can because we have so many great instructors locally especially that i've gotten to work with and there's such good uh information that they can provide and they deserve to be able to get that information through clearly so what would be the next step owning your own school really that's the thing is there's not a lot of um of movement within the program other than what I'm doing. I am interested in learning to teach the intermediate course that the CMSP program um, provides, but we'll see if I, I'm, I'm hopefully going to do that within the next couple of years, but this may be a time of transition for me. Eventually I love the program and I want to continue to be involved in it as I'm, I will I hopefully be involved in the program for the rest of my life. Um, but I, I don't know that this is something that I will do forever as a full-time job. And as somebody who will potentially be uh, overseeing or critiquing people's teaching, um, so many people don't, don't take the class, but they you know they go out and and teach somebody how to ride. Mm-hmm. Myself, somebody took me to a parking lot, taught me to ride. You know, I have taught many people to ride. Twist to go, squeeze to stop, you know, get you down I, the road. I wanted to find out from people who do that, and I was watching that happen in a parking lot yesterday that a couple guys were teaching this woman how to ride on a Ninja 400, and I was a little bit suspect of their mm-hmm. teaching technique, but I was told that she was in capable hands, so I let it go. But what are some common mistakes or things that are overlooked in teaching somebody to ride in a parking lot? Absolutely. So the I always recommend that people, of course I'm biased, but I always recommend that people who are interested in learning how to ride take the class because the information is presented over and over and over to them in a tested way that and everything that is taught within the class is evidence-based so you're not going to get anyone's bad habits jumped into your uh, beginning to ride um (laughs) we're passing the candy around um the gummy dicks there's a couple of important things that are um overlooked and one of the biggest things that i think is overlooked in a lot of uh 
writers who are learning on their own and learning from people who don't know how to teach are things like uh, your wrist position for throttle application and things like head and eyes up. And that's, of course, we talk about that every so often with writing stuff. And I'm going to agree with you there because I'm usually so focused on telling them what their hands and feet are doing. Mm -hmm. And I forget to talk about where their eyes are looking. That usually comes down the road so well, that's a good tip in good even reminder. with um with thinking about things like where their hands and feet are one of the things we teach within the cmsp program is we teach new riders to always have their hand covering their clutch because if there's anything scary happening they can always take away the power that's not something that riders always do especially as we continue to ride i don't always cover my clutch when i'm riding on the street but having new riders have that ability and the confidence to take away the power immediately, that's something that I that should be encouraged. Another really important thing is uh, wrist position for your throttle. Um, when riders get on bikes for the first time, a lot of the times they have their wrist like three inches above their knuckles and they want to roll on a thousand percent and then they think that's how you apply the throttle. But one of the things that we coach is a low wrist position. And so low wrist position would be mm. my lowest knuckle to my wrist to my elbow in a straight line all the way across so that will help prevent whiskey throttle exactly because oh, they good tip. Good you tip. have more control over the tiny little uh muscles in your wrist and when you're trying to control your um wrist uh, your uh, throttle application smoothly if your wrist is a little bit higher than your knuckles really easy to roll on a lot of throttle when you only meant a little bit a low wrist position just provides more control with it there's a ton of things. Uh, body position is so significant to safety. I One of the things that I coach constantly for all of my riders is uh, squeeze your legs to the tank. Squeeze your legs to the tank. Scoot up on your seat so you can get more of your knee and your thigh to the tank. Because a lot of riders will sit on a bike for the first time and they will uh, hold on really tightly with their hands. And then their hands are worried about holding them to the motorcycle and using their controls. But if they have really tense arms, they recognize their arms are tense and they think I need to relax my arms. But a lot of the times they don't realize that relaxing their arms is actually built off of their legs doing the work of leg mm. squeezing the tank. Because if your legs are squeezing the tank, your arms can relax. It engages your core. So your body doesn't have this forward shift motion when you're coming to a stop. There's all of these little pieces that are not uh, that come naturally to a lot of riders, especially with experience. And we learn to do them a lot, but they're not easy to translate if you don't have if you don't have that background, it, we know what to coach within that. There was uh, another thing that you mentioned that I thought was interesting. As somebody who has never taken a class, Emma, mm-hmm. classes didn't exist when we started writing, right? Oh, heck no. It was, here's your permit. Go out on the street. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Um, and I was asking you about um, the technique because not everybody learns the same way. And you said that the technique you guys use is kind of covering a lot of different learning yeah, absolutely. And uh, so I've I've taught for, um, I teach currently for CMSP. I also teach currently for um, Z2. We have two different classes that we teach. And I used to teach for uh, a dirt riding program as well. In all of the classes that I've ever taught, we come at it from different modalities because people learn in different ways. And so we always teach from uh, people hear us talk. And we second, we show them what we're doing. We have a presentation, we have a screen or something that we can show them what we're doing. Uh, 
um, in the dirt class uh, because we were outside for it we were just pointing on things to the motorcycle and then finally we do things like static practices where we don't uh, even start our motorcycles we just have people sit on the bike and try what we're asking them to do before we start moving we have demonstrations for them to see and then they get to experience it as they're actively riding Um, people learn different ways and having the information given to them over and over and over and over again builds uh builds multiple connections to it your synapses are being uh your the information is going connecting and connecting and connecting and connecting and you're strengthening that connection by applying that knowledge a whole bunch of times and accessing that knowledge back and forth over and over and over again and pulling it back out of your brain and saying oh i need to apply this again and i'm talking about it again so you're really solidifying that knowledge by applying by having it come across different ways and if you didn't understand it one way having it given to you another way can be what it what it takes to put it into practice for you and that's one of the benefits of classes is you have someone who can uh give you that information many different ways over to make sure that you're getting it and understanding it and you have someone who can ensure that you're getting it in a way that they can explain it differently with someone who is who knows how to ride um you can ask them well how do you do this very specific thing and it's it can be hard to explain if you do it naturally. Charlie is a fantastic motorcycle rider. He is a terrible but. teacher. Yeah, <laughs> he cannot teach for shit. Um, and so, Twist to go, squeeze, stop. You're right. Yeah, it, he just doesn't. Just send it. He can't apply the Why knowledge you up there now? in a way that is uh, that is helpful for coaching. Well, and the, there is an explanation for that because I still maintain that Charlie is probably one of the most naturally gifted motorcyclists I've ever come across in 45 years. And I think a lot of people agree with that. But the problem is when you're naturally gifted, it's very, very hard to put yourself in the position of somebody who knows considerably less and Mm -hmm. pass on. Because so much of your ability on a motorcycle is real seat-of-your-pants stuff. You have this intrinsic knowledge of what to do that's right. But to actually quantify that and try and teach somebody that is very, very hard. Um, I I really struggle very, very much to teach people mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it, it's always a struggle for me and i love doing it i love passing on the knowledge i have of how to repair motorcycles um but it's always been very much a gift for me to be able to repair them and to be able to understand them and i really have to get out of that zone in order to teach so that's my explanation of why charlie although a gifted rider is such a lousy teacher. And I think that's very true. I was a terrible writer when I first started, and I think that's one of the best things that makes me a good teacher is I know what it's like to suck at it. So would you say you have your master's or your doctorate? In writing now. <laughs> um, I have taught over 500 classes now, um, which I am very, very, very which proud of. Which is at least oh, I think 500 that, I think students. that's Dr. Micah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and a- as an aside, I did bring up a picture of my green GPZ. Mm. How beautiful is that? That's a pretty bike. 
Right. Very swoopy. That's a good word for it. Good looking bike, right? Mm-hmm. I love that. We call um, them Batmobiles in England because they're the very swoopy styling. <sighs> I yeah. loved it. I'm, I want to mention also, um, I know that every time I come on the podcast, I'm like, everyone should take more classes. Uh, but yeah. a statistic I've provided before and that I want to give again is um, there's a 37 to 61% fatality reduction rate by taking multiple courses. So whatever level you're at, taking multiple courses is a life-saving choice. Well, um, and well, Micah, but how do they get this statistic? And because people in the military um, were right. dying um, from motorcycle riding here in the United States, and so they started requiring that people take a basic course plus one additional course per year after that, and that's how we found that 37 to 61% so quality reduction, reduction rate. A very similar analogy. I mean, I've, people know I've, I've driven heavy buses as well as ridden motorcycles. And when I when I did instruction um, for bus driving, I always used to say to people, you know, anybody can drive a bus when the going is good. But the problem is when things go bad, they tend to go bad very, very quickly. And this the training that you're going to receive is not when things are going well. Because when things are going well, you're in this automatic transmission giant vehicle with great brakes and the weather's great and the traffic's great and everything's great. But when things go bad, it moves very, very, very quickly and you do not want to wreck a bus. And it's the same with a bike. You know, if the weather's perfect, if the traffic's perfect, if your bike's running perfect, if it's maintained well and you've had a good night's sleep and sun shining... It's a very, very easy task to master. Mm-hmm. And 96% of the time in motorcycle accidents, the motorcycle is a striking vehicle. Now, that includes both single and multiple, right. vocal, multiple vehicle accidents. But that statistic tells us that generally motorcyclists suck at not hitting things. Um, <laughs> whether that is a single vehicle accidents, one of the biggest reasons that people crash is failure to negotiate curves appropriately. So right. them crashing because they're not looking in the appropriate place. Them going too fast into turns them not turning appropriately ineffective counter steering is a big one for that um or just not knowing how to stop appropriately we watch so many crash videos where we see people who are riding and then someone pulls out in front of them and so they try and rev their throttle and you don't see them touch their brakes until they're almost to the car that they are about to hit there's things that uh, classes one of the biggest things that people work on is how to avoid crashes by learning cornering techniques by learning how to appropriately aim their eyes by learning how to do things like maximum braking yeah so i'm going to equate this emma Yon. and this is going to be equating for wrenching Yon. i think when we learn to ride there's yes. usually somebody who takes you out in a parking lot yeah no there's and, always and, somebody takes and, you and, under their and wing and it's it's akin to getting a screwdriver and a set of pliers as in your toolbox. Right. What you're saying is we're going to give you an entire craftsman toolkit in exactly. your toolbox. Exactly. That's kind of cool. Oh, it's very cool. And when I look back to when I started writing, and it's a subject I don't talk about too much because it, it still hurts even now. I lost so many friends mm. because we did back then. And especially when we made that transition to big bikes and we all did it so fucking quickly, and it was far too quickly. Yeah. I mean, I was riding a friggin' GS1000 after being really on the road for a year, 
And that's too quick yeah. mm. to have a 90 horsepower bike. Well, then there also wasn't accessibility to like proper safety gear. Right. It wasn't yeah. classic. And, you know, so yeah. if you go back to 1979 as a still very inexperienced rider, mm. I'm riding around on a, on a GS1000 wearing jeans, a black leather jacket, Doc Martens yeah. and an open face helmet. Like all my friends, jeans, jeans are riding yeah. gear. Well, jeans it, are riding it, like, gear. It's, <laughs> leather, it's leather jacket, but there's no armor in it. Armor, right? It, armor. No, no, yeah. the armor wasn't even thought of back then. Yeah. And um, God, I lost so many friends. I mean, even professional racers at the time, like their suits, their armor wasn't that great. Like, right. that was the only people that had a suit. Yeah. And I mean, you know, racing suits, we can afford racing suits. We were, yeah. we're all working class boys and girls, you know? This this is, um, it was a cheap way of getting thrills, you know? It's all, yeah. the, all, the, all the posh kids, all the preppy kids had like Golf GTIs and Mini Coopers and, you know, sporty little cars. Well, we couldn't afford that. But we went a lot quicker than <laughs> they did. Um, but... Dang, the attrition rate was so bloody high, yeah. scarily well, high, and that's got to be a good thing now because we, we we've it wasn't sustainable because had you gone on at that rate, you know the sooner or later somebody had said, look, this is just we can't keep killing young people like that. Um, it, it has to stop, and people are oh, okay, well, that's it. There's a ban on motorcycles above 250, and that's how it might have ended up. So any kind of training, any kind of safety thing, it's, it's a great thing because now if you take training and you follow the instructions of how to ride a bike, the chances are that you are going to be alive to celebrate your 70th, 80th, 90th birthday. Mm. Well, I'm glad we're caught up with you. We don't have as much time to catch up with the guys. Yeah, I just want to really briefly mention the number one thing you can do yeah. to save your life on a motorcycle is wear a helmet. But after that, uh, taking multiple courses is proven to be a life-saving as well as um, not not riding impaired. 35% of riders killed in California have positive have alcohol in their system so if you don't ride impaired if you take multiple courses and you wear a helmet your chances of fatality goes down huge 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 amounts it and, is life-saving but i drive better when i'm drunk <laughs> and don't forget high vis Hi high visibility gear is hugely important to your safety too but i, I don't have i was so proud that we had that young gentleman come in today and he got that nearly new high vis jacket that he was trying to find a cool color i'm like trust me Get cool. Yeah. He was trying to match something to his bike. I'm <clears> like, Dude, <throat> let it go. This is a great yeah. jacket. It's free. So, Charlie, there is an update with you. Something new. Gotta go quick. <laughs> <laughs> I passed the new racer school, so I can now enter races. Yay! Nice. Well done. Yeah, Yuri Berrigan was here last week and talking shit about you. You ready yeah. to take him on? Well, he's going to be in the expert. Class. So, um, how congratulations! How long before you get your FIM license? That probably a year. Yeah, I was. Gonna well, because well, because like, so my first race, I have to enter in the clubman or whatever. Yeah, and, no, you're going to be a clubman for yeah, a little while, and then it's novice for like a year or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and then and you then, get your FIM license, then you're uh, off. Then. Yeah. Um, well done. Yeah. So you know it's. You're off and running. Yeah. You're both continuing to make, be make, better. Make us proud, Charlie. And then um, Henry. Oh. 
Have you had an accident since the last time you've been here? <laughs> yes. Yes. Why isn't he thinking about this? <laughs> yes or no? Oh, no? It's not a let's think about it. <laughs> it was just it was just a minor little thing where I was breaking over a painted section. I was breaking over a painted section when we had uh, rain when we were having rain like a couple months ago, mm. and just like slow little whoop slide on out. What were you riding? My uh, V11, the Moto Guzzi Le Mans. Did you smash it up? No, we repaired it pretty quick. The paint okay. job is a little smashed up, but everything works fine. Oh, I'm sure Ed will touch that up in a trice. <laughs> oh, what you need over that gouge is a Mototown sticker. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, I wanted to get real quick to some emails we have. Uh, I have one here I am going to share. Um, and Henry, you might be able to help with this one as well. Hmm. It says, greetings and salutations, fellow misfits and vagabonds, or simply hello all. And this is from Rick. Hello, Rick. I'm writing to you from the already hot and humid hills of Claremont, Florida. Uh, he says, yeah, I, I know you hills think we don't have hills. Florida. I know. Fuck. Blasphemy compared to the West Coast for sure, but there are hills. Uh, he says, recently someone has really turned me on to Moto Guzzi. Or Gucci, as some ignorant Americans are wont to say. <laughs> I have been able to test ride the latest V100 Mandelo for fun. Oh, lucky you. Now, I wasn't really interested in that particular bike, but more so the transverse V-twin layout in general. It's a good bike, but not what I am pondering right now. Instead, I am lusting after a V7 or a V9 bobber. There's just something about them that oozes a charm, yes. and I have no idea why I'm lusting after them deeply, but here we are. But then I took a deep dive into the history and other models of the company and learned about the MGS-1 yes. and their version of a Daytona, yes. as well as the more recent Grizo. And I am really questioning myself as to why I didn't research this company sooner or why Piaggio doesn't seem to want to market their products <laughs> more than Vespas. Jeez. But the real question is, how reliable are the products and how simple are they to work on? Part of the reason I'm attracted to the V7, V9, aside from the styles, they seem like a pretty simple and reliable platform. And I watched a Valve service video on YouTube that makes it seem that even an unskilled ape like myself can be trusted with the service. Um, so he says, I think I may have a bigger problem. However, currently I ride a Ducati Street Fighter V2. And he says, uh, but... He says, oh, even though I live in Florida, the, the built-in seat warmers is not so bad. Oh, there you go. Yeah, he goes, but also the four-wheeled vehicles are all Italian or assembled from Italy source components. Maybe my soul is pasta and marinara based. In any event, the Guzzi seems like the perfect Italian yin to the Ducati Yang. Love your show. And that you guys and the Nokomoto, two of my favorite. Oh, so, that's very what sweet. do you guys think oh, yeah. about the Moto Guzzi's? Well, we both, I, now I've got, I got my Guzzi back. Henry's got a goosey. What do we think, Henry? Oh, we love him. But yeah. personally, I like the big... Personally, I think you'll agree with me, Emma, is that we like the big twin goosies, not the small blocks like the V7 or the ah. V9. Generally, with goosies, and I'm painting with a very, very broad stroke, the bigger they are, the better they are. Um, that Griso... Oh, God, what a bike. Um, but they're very, very simple. They've become very reliable, like Vespers. Um... They're essentially very simple. I mean, if you compare them to the duck, which is the obvious choice, I mean, it's, you know, it's the other Italian white meat. Um, the duck is belt-driven, which requires um, regular changes. It has 
opening shims, it has closing shims. It's a quite a complex engine. By contrast, the Guzzi is, it has got a cam chain, but it's a very short one. It's a pushrod V-twin. It's essentially an incredibly simple engine. Um, and mine has been absolutely stone reliable. Isn't it true that they copied the CX-500 from Honda? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, they used a time machine to do it. So, you know, back in the 1950s, they jumped forward to 1977 saw the CX-500 and then went back. I just Oh, Mike has got a new tattoo. Is that a new it's tattoo? It's hot off the press. I can see it under the cling saran wrap. about a month, but I got um, touch-ups on it yesterday. Ah. It's my manta rays because oh, nice. we're divers now. And this actually, this top manta ray is Vicky Ray. We met her when we were diving in <laughs> Maui, and it was a magical experience. They're nice. like 14 feet wide. Uh, not in Maui. I'm sorry, uh, in Kona. So fantastic! That's yep. a good tip. You guys both like <laughs> no go big, do it. Big do it. Only I'm only thing about Motoguzzi's is that changing out the clutch is a pain in the ass. Ask me. I'm doing it on my Stelvio right now. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, but they do they do tend to wrap themselves around your heart like no other bike. Okay. Well, there you go. I hope that helps you out. Uh, you gonna read that? Am I? I'm sorry. I thought you just told me to hand this to Charlie. No, I said you're up next. She's okay. going to put me on the hot seat. I'm ready. All right. Charlie reads like this. No, I wanted you to read it. <laughs> That's true. Um, hello, Misfits from Deep in the Dungeon. It's me, David. Hey, hello, David. David. First, hey, I want dungeon? to <laughs> apologize for my last email. I know it was too long and I tried to bait you into talking about a taboo subject. You're too smart for that. Okay, It's so- unforgivable to read. Okay, so I've been back to riding for about six months now, and I have an itch to scratch. Okay. I need another bike. Yes. <laughs> At first, I, What's the title of this email? N plus one and other random thoughts. <laughs> yeah, there you go. At first, I thought I wanted a DRZ, but now I'm looking at a KTM 640 LC4 Enduro. Mm. I love the suspension on the KTM. I know there's a lot of vibration, but really, people who complain about motorcycles being uncomfortable should shut the fuck up and drive cars. We love our bikes and don't care if they abuse us. They love us just as much as we love them. Yes. What do you think about the KTM? Should I go for it? For reference, here's a list of the bikes I've owned in order acquired. Honda Z50, SIS Saks V5, Kazal 125 Enduro, Yamaha D T400, Honda XL350, Kawasaki GPZ 1100, yeah, yeah. Kawasaki ZX10, BMW 75.5, Honda Pacific Coast, Honda CBR Fireblade, and finally Suzuki DL1000 V-Strom. The first two were actually extended loaners and not mine. There's more information. Um, basically, he went recently to Moto Talbot. He wishes Mo- yeah. uh, Miss Emma was able to be there and oh. thinks a great Patreon project could be to create an audio recording of Miss Emma guiding you through the museum and giving a history behind we the bikes. We actually have a Patreon, or we have a, a show we did with Rob Talbot walking us through talking about the bikes. Hey. Um, also, is insulting you, Liza. Um, <laughs> after listening to Liza constantly whining about the Africa twin, it occurred to me that she has not uh, developed short people skills. There are many <laughs> skills one must develop to learn to ride a motorcycle, and if you are a short person like me, you need to develop additional skills. Someone who duck walks their bike everywhere does not need to develop <laughs> short people skills. Fair enough. Well, Liza, the Africa twin is a tall bike, so you will need to work on your short people skills. As a short person, I offer my services as a trainer. I can't wait to come to the shop and meet you all and wrench with you cheers your number one fan david i'm out cool cool oh david thank you what a lovely email i would like to comment on this as the ktm owner so my first response is a bike like the 640 is an older ktm and like many performance bikes bmws i say stay away from things that are 
older than like 15 years old. Right. They start to become more expensive to repair. But listening to that list of bikes that he's owned, he's used to having older bikes that might be somewhat problematic. You know what the jewel in the crown the, was? The the deal, the, the V-Strom was the only yes. reliable and a f- cheap uh, bike to maintain. Pacific Coast 800. Yeah, we're going to that GPZ 1100. I heard that. Nonsense. So... Babbling from I'm, the I'm, sick bed. I'm also guessing that he's choosing the 640 because maybe there's one available to him yes. for somebody. Because that isn't a bike I would go seek. The 690 is a bike that has been made since 08. So you yeah, can get a brand new 690. Uh, mine is an 08, and it's still uh, But the 640 is like turn of the millennium, isn't it? Well, yeah. So it's going to be pre-08. So you're getting down about to like 2000, two or something. Yeah. yeah. So... Generally, I would say no, but this is somebody who sounds like if they have that long list of old bikes, they are good wrenching and maintaining. And I've heard that valve seats start to go at around 30,000 miles on the Probably because they're not using the right kind of gas. Uh, obviously. <laughs> um, counterpoint, the DRZ is a bike that I still have dreams about. Um, <laughs> it was a great motorcycle and the DRZ was a ton of fun. So if you were thinking about the DRZ, I highly encourage you to play with that idea a little longer. My 690 feels like a DRZ that goes up to 11. So, um, you should ride that bike, Mike. I have not ridden uh, it. I cannot talk about it then. Yeah. Well, uh, so that's that's my take. Normally, I would tell somebody to stay away from a 640s so or older, but I do know people who are still riding 950s, you know, not the older bikes, and they're main, they know how to maintain them, and they're still enjoying them. Right. So if it's at the right price, knowing that the older bikes are going to be more expensive to maintain, I don't know. Um, yeah. But I also, I love the KTM, the performance. And I've had DRZs. DRZs are perfectly capable, great bikes. But the KTMs give me the feelies. <laughs> That's yes. the difference. Well, and the, the DRZs been like the same motor for like 20 years. For good reason. Yeah. So I think Missions. it just comes down if you're prepared to wrench and, and do, you know, it, it might be expensive. Yeah. I'd say go for it. What do you think, Emma? Yeah, why not? Give it a try. Yeah, everyone has to learn their lesson. Variety is the spice of life. Um, Bagel, you have one there? I do. All right, what you got? It says, hello, Misfits. Hello. Johnny Powell here from South Carolina. Hello, Johnny. <laughs> I have a question for Bagel. All right. I bought a 2010 Vespa GTS 300 last year, primarily for the purpose of campaigning the Scooter Cannonball this year. Are you sure that's an authentic accent? Close <laughs> as I can get. All right, right. Carry, on. Carry on. Imagine you're in a tobacco field. That'll help. <laughs> Tobacky. Mine, mine has the unnerving characteristic of the death wobble if you let Ooh. go of one or more of the handlebar grips. Oh, don't do that then. I've, I've He's looked going it too up slow. A, I've looked it up a little bit, and it seems that some people experience it, and some do not. Do you have any thoughts on this? So, is it true that <sighs> wheeling will fix the death wobble? Do while, we, while, while you're in the wheelie, just do, yes. just do the wheelie. <laughs> so, do we have time for another episode? <laughs> I actually have a riding position tip with that. Ooh, is, on a Vespa. Yeah. Um, one thing that I tell my scooter riders is in the same way that uh, we grip with our legs on a motorcycle, you can kind of almost 
dig the ball of your foot into the floorboards a little bit on a scooter mm. and it is the same thing of taking weight off of your arms because what mm. might be happening is you might be giving a little bit of a steering input under acceleration and that little bit of the weight coming off of the front tire and a little bit of steering input can be what is affecting the motorcycle well the, the scooter in a little bit should let's let bagel take this first yeah, yes. all right. that's, that's good that's good <laughs> advice good. in general for for bikes but there is there is a very particular problem with oh, Vespa mm. GTSs that has plagued the the series from the beginning. Uh, this has to do with the, the the geometry of the front suspension and the rear suspension as well. Um, <clears throat> and they have tried various things over the years to compensate for this with varying degrees of success. But there are a number of things that you can try, and I'm very familiar with this because I have both a 2000 well, two 2007 GTS and GTV and 2010 uh, GTS 300, just like yours. Can I guess? Uh, I'm going to guess it's kind of yes. like the same fix for my Corvair. Put some uh, cinder blocks in the frunk. Um, if you, if there was a frunk, that <laughs> might actually help. <laughs> but, 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 but not with your acceleration or <laughs> handling, probably. Well, you could put a lot of wheel weights on. <laughs> yeah. uh, All right. <laughs> so so what, what is it? Okay, so there there are a number of things that number of factors that go into this, um, and I'll try to go through these very quickly because, I, like I said, we could go we could have a whole episode on this very su- this particular subject. But uh, worn rear shocks, uh, mm. worn rear tire, or yeah. rear tire with um, uh, an unusual tread pattern that that is uh, that causes a that, that amplifies the wobble. Uh, you could have uh, loose steering head yes. bearings in the front that can contribute to that. Uh, not enough bar weights on your mm. your bars for the weight that you have in your top case and or the, an, on a rack on the rear. These are uh, all the same any, for, on a motorcycle, so it's no different, right? Yes. Okay. But but the Vespa is particularly sensitive to this this mm. issue. Okay. Um, and and the more and, and in general, the more weight you put on the rear of the bike, the worse the wobble is going to get. Um, if you, if you do need to put more weight on the rear, uh, like if you're loaded up for a cannonball, you are going to need to put a lot more preload on your rear shocks to compensate for that. Um, you know, there's, there, there's so many different factors that, that play into this, you know, it's, 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 it's almost, it really comes down to a, a game of, of suspension tuning to get that to go away. So um, can, can I jump in bagel? Sure. I, I have a recommendation. Tell me what you guys mm-hmm. think of this. Especially if this is a bike that you're prepping for the cannonball. First thing, mm-hmm. you're going to be putting brand new tires on. Since that might be the fix, go mm-hmm. ahead and put well, the new tires on now to see if that fixed it, right? Well, it's not just brand new tires. It's the tread pattern as well. Okay. so Because but, there are certain, certain tires will amplify the wobble tremendously. Others will minimize it. And also in prepping for a long distance ride, Greasing the stem bearings and inspecting the races. Those are two things that are really likely sure. to fix it. And you're going to do it anyway. So do that yeah. first. Do that now. Mm-hmm. That, yep. may, are, that may fix it, right? And if not, well, that, then it will, to, it, will cer- it will certainly help. Um, I, but, I but, 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 but really what it comes down to for the most part is weight distribution. So cinder uh, block in the front. Uh, yeah, or just okay. as much weight as much weight as you can between your legs and forward on the bike uh, will help, and and as, and as, and minimize the weight that you have on the back. Because, for example, like on my Cannonball, G- oh. my Cannonball GTS, uh, 
you know, I put a four gallon spare tank inside the top case. Four gallons of gas is not light. And, and that is way to the back and very high up. And when I filled that thing up all the way, it made the bike very, very unstable and amplified that steering wobble dramatically. Um, so, you know, so weight distribution has a lot to do with it. Uh, one last note that I, I would also say is that if you're experiencing the wobble around 25 to 30 miles per hour, that is the normal predict you know, the normal typical wobble that GTSs have. If you're experiencing a high speed wobble, that is something entirely different, and you need to to investigate that immediately because that is that is not safe. That should not be happening. Okay. Um, the the notorious wobble is only at low speeds, like twenty five to thirty miles per hour. I maintain what I said all along. And, and death I'm, traps. And death I'm, traps. I'm just going to say, and if you want to be a Patreon subscriber at ten dollars or more, I'll give you the, the ask bagel email <laughs> what <laughs> all right thank you bagel and i think this is kind of related emma can you answer this quickly that's my um, first question yes this is from uh ken it looks like ken burn i watch your films all the time ken um tell me why that's not how it works okay i sing it you say it tell me why tell me why <laughs> a few weeks back i could have sworn that i heard miss emma oh that's me Oh. Say something about some newer motorcycles having forks where one tube handles rebound and the other handles damping. Did you really say that? Rather than having the right and left tubes being essentially identical, like one of those balanced rooms. and doing both jobs. Am I nuts? Did I hear that wrong? If it is true, please tell me why they would do such a thing. Is there some advantage to this and how do they cut the bike from feeling wonky? Seems bananas to me. Ken in Connecticut. You didn't hear wrong, Ken. It is absolutely true. That and Yeah, a lot of also a lot of aftermarket cartridge kits like for the yeah, exactly. or whatever. Um, so if you buy posh forks for um uh, a cheap your, bike. your Ninja four hundred, because essentially a Ninja four hundred yeah. is a very cheap bike yeah. with cheap suspension. Yeah. If you buy posh fork kits, whether they are from Racetech or whether they are Olin's from Olin's, whoever. the left one handles the rebound, the right one handles the damping. Well, and then your adjusters can all be on the top. Right. And that's a big plus. So it's all about re real estate. It's about fluid transfer. And the bigger you can make components, the more you can dial in an exact amount of fluid transfer rather than having a lot going on in a small space. The thing is with modern bikes is triple trees have become very, very strong. Mm. Front axles have become very, very strong. Clamping forces for the front axles have become very, very strong. So when assembled and assembled correctly and talked up to spec, the front end of a bike, you can have the left and right forks doing completely different things and you won't feel a damn thing. It's not You couldn't do that in the old days. Interestingly enough, I give you single-sided swing arms, which yeah. are essentially the same thing. And even okay. before single-sided swing arms, 1,500cc gold wings, the left rear shock and the right rear shock did completely different jobs. Huh. That was the design of the bike. And there was enough structural integrity in the swing arm to make the bike not feel wonky. It's simple real estate. But... Unlike my brain, when I saw that dirt road, which was working against each other, you're saying they weren't yes. with each other. So <laughs> inside you, Liza, you have two wolves. 
The, the left wolf <laughs> and the right wolf. What are their names? The left wolf is completely idiotic, and so's the right wolf. <laughs> They're wolves. Oh, right! <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a sign that this has gone off the <laughs> So that would mean this is when I start thanking everybody. Hey, thank you to everyone who emailed in. Keep them coming. Yeah. There's no such thing as a dumb question, only dumb people. And that's us. <laughs> so we like to keep and the standards answers. low around here. We've got a leaded gasoline engine running this whole time. <laughs> yeah, and uh, thank you to all of our uh, Patreon subscribers. You keeping us going? Thank you so much, Emma. I think you do. You, you might have to ask a uh, uh, well. Ask Miss I mean, Emma I, to answer. No, yeah, I, I'm I'm up to date on my ask Miss Emma's. Except there is a verbal request, and I'm not sure about that yet. So I'll have, okay. a, I'll have a little think about okay, it. Okay, great. It's 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 out, a little outside my comfort zone, but we're, I'll have a go because these are very righteous bikes we're talking about. We're talking about a vintage Matchless Ooh, right. and a vintage Ooh. Triumph Trophy, which are very very righteous motorcycles. So I might I might stay at, step out of my comfort zone, get, have a little chat with the owner. We shall okay. see. But I also wanted to thank uh, Henry and Charlie and Micah for stepping in and joining yeah, us. Yeah, it's great. You weren't going to stay for very long, Henry, and here you are at the end. I forgot how it is. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Just get sucked into a black <laughs> hole. Exactly. The sun was yeah, out today. Hole. We're all in a good mood. I know. And and all the people came to the garage mm-hmm. and we had Megan It's just and like old days, wasn't Kat it? And yeah, it's brilliant. Even I was even nice to knock. Yeah, that was very disconcerting. <laughs> That's why he went home. He's not here right now. <laughs> Even Mikey three times was here. I yeah. I saw Knock as he was leaving. I was driving over here and I waved and he like turned weirdly and looked at me in the car because I was in a car and not a motorcycle waving to him. I don't think he recognized me. But, you know, for everyone in the rest of the country, the, 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 be- the better weather is coming. I know I have friends who had to do Easter in the snow. So hang on. It's coming. We can all get through this. Can you imagine having temperature? Wow. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so the person we were whining last week about our weather. I know. I know. Uh, big thanks to everyone for listening and, and uh, sticking with us. We've got our rally coming up. The weekend after that is one show. And I know we have some uh, listeners who are going to be joining us there. Looking right. forward to that. And I am taking the goozy up on the back of King Kong. And then just a couple of weeks after that, and it's the quail. Dash quail. And the Mototown tent will be at the quail this year. And Ooh. I'm going to be serving gin and tonics. To a, can you a, do that? Yes, of course you can. So um, <laughs> if you're well, putting... A, well, you're not putting the gin in, so you're not really serving them alcohol. The, yeah. They're putting their own gin in it, which is on the table there. Yes, exactly. So if you want to swing by the Moto Tent for a gin and tonic, oh. help yourself. <laughs> gin and tonics and Dixie Cups, is that what it's going to be? Kind of, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a classy, classy I am. Bride. No, I'm super classy. No, yeah, it's going to be gin and tonics in sippy cups. Hey, we still for the children. We still have gin left over from the wedding. We'll donate to you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, bring Ooh. along a bottle. Well, thanks everyone. Um, go to motorcyclesandmisfits.com. You'll yeah. find links to everything there. Yeah. Send us your emails. Those things. Sign up for our rally. Do everything. Do everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a movie? Yeah. I believe so. Uh, yes. Alright, I think we're ready to get out of here. Hopefully you guys all remember how this works. Thanks everybody. This is Liza. Emma Darling! Micah. Charlie. Henry. Mm, bagel. And we are out of here. Cool. 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 cool.